working for entrepreneurs, you know, gives you that opportunity to really do anything because they want to do anything and they're pushing boundaries and they're taking risks. I think I then worked out after a number of years that that really was my what I liked and again it's it's seeing a problem I guess and trying to work out how to how to resolve it. It means that you just expose yourself to many different things. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in anything in particular, but I think I'm an expert in just getting things done. Welcome to the Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Anna Tichborn. Anna is one of the most giving and highly spirited in-house lawyers that I know. She radiates warmth and positivity and is a lot of fun to be around. She is also my manager. I've been working with Anna for close to four years now and we've been through a lot together, both in the trenches at work, but also in Vegas to celebrate her recent milestone birthday. As general counsel at Megaport, Anna has guided the business from startup through to global expansion and now as a company listed in the ASX 200. Anna has been a supporter of mine from the very first time that we met. And anyone who knows me well knows that my confidence as a lawyer has grown beyond measure under her wing. I'm so fortunate to learn from her every day and I thank her for supporting this passion project as well. Honestly, I could not ask for a better leader. Enjoy this episode with Anna Tichborn And please feel free to share it with anyone in your network who really needs to hear from an incredibly positive lawyer. I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. Mentioned to you last year that I really wanted to get you on and we've made it happen. Brisbane's in lockdown this weekend. I'm not going anywhere. It's Friday evening for you. So I just thought let's make it happen and kick off the new year with someone that I know well and probably better than most of my guests. So I just can't thank you enough for your time because I know how much wisdom you have to share and really what just an awesome person and awesome lawyer you are. So thank you so much for coming. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you, Mel. I'm delighted to be here. I've been in lockdown now for about 10 months. So any opportunity to do something different, I'm all for I can't believe that we're already at the end of our first working week of the year. It just seems crazy. Well, let's get cracking. Just for fun, if you had a limitless credit card, Anna, but you could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? I love this question because my mind goes straight to stores that I should not mention. And (laughs) I have to say, after 10 months of being in lockdown in Los Angeles, that Costco by far wins wins out. Ah. Ah, interesting. I thought you were going to say a luxury brand of of some type knowing you. Trust me, that was my first thought. But when I actually put my mind to it and, and gave it some proper consideration, I was like, you know what, Costco. And for those people that don't know what Costco is or have never been to Costco, it is basically the store where you can buy anything and everything. And they have extremely good bulk buying power. So 
you can get things for extremely good prices, which nice. has come in very helpful during COVID. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> Something random. Random lockdown <laughs> skills, hey? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Oh, fabulous. So, to matter at hand, legal stuff. What was your first legal job, Anna? And how did you find your way to in-house practice? Well, my first legal job, to be honest, I did a law degree but didn't really know whether I wanted to be a lawyer or not. And actually, straight out of university, I went to London with my partner at the time and I just worked as a paralegal because I didn't have my UK qualification. And I did that for about nine months, worked for some outstanding law firms over there but decided that it was really time to actually, you know, do what I had trained to do, which was become an actual solicitor. So I went back to New Zealand and I just applied for every and any available job in Christchurch, which is where I was living at the time. I got a very unusual job working for a sole practitioner as a defence attorney and family lawyer. Little did I know that a month later he was going to merge his practice with another sole practitioner. So I ended up working for two male solicitor solicitor and barristers. In New Zealand you are admitted as both. One of the sole practitioners who had employed me had told the other practitioner that he had hired a young guy called Bob who was joining the practice. And so you can imagine the looks on people's faces when I walked in. Uh, on Monday morning to take out my role as a junior lawyer uh, working below these two. So it was insane job. And I say that because from the minute I started, I was basically in a courtroom. Wow. And throughout my studies, I had never envisaged that I would be a courtroom lawyer. The thought of standing in a courtroom and talking to a judge would put the fear of God into me. And yet here I was, my first job as a real lawyer been going down to the the Christchurch District Court every day to deal with anything and everything that you know came up so I basically spent three and a half years working as a junior lawyer litigator what made me move to in-house was after three and a half years of being a litigator it can be quite hard work and it's tough it's really tough and Mm. I had done three and a half years but I was getting to a point where I was starting to take on more serious cases and it had never been my intention to be a litigator, certainly not a criminal defence litigator. And so I actually just decided that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I lasted two weeks. I had actually given myself six weeks to try and decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my oh life. Oh my gosh. So you were really like done. You're like, I've, I'm burnt out. I need a break. Law yeah. is just, it's yeah. just not going to be my thing forever. Yep. Wow. So then what happened? <laughs> so then I, I took my break and whilst I was on my break, I was approached by a very good friend and successful entrepreneur in New Zealand, Mike Perro, And he was interested in having me come um, and work alongside him. At that point, he was very much post his Mike Perro mortgages business. He had essentially sold that business and was looking at other entrepreneurial startup type businesses. And 
he wanted someone to, to provide some, some guidance and, and general business advice. And so I thought this was a great opportunity to really stretch my skills. And at least in the first instance, I wasn't expecting to be providing him legal advice. And I didn't really know what an in-house lawyer was back then because mm. this, is, this is the mid-2000s in New Zealand. And at that point, there weren't really a lot of commercial in-house lawyers, certainly not in Christchurch, and I didn't know any. So I, I started this job and after a very short amount of time, realized that I was actually providing legal advice. And so I just rang my local law society and um, explained to them what I was doing. And they said, oh, we can give you a practicing certificate. It's a corporate practicing certificate. But what it means is that you can only provide legal advice to your employer and his affiliate companies. And I thought, okay, well, this sounds okay. So basically I created this job for myself, working with Mike Perrault and, and, and helping him do a whole load of new startup type businesses and some that were very successful and some that didn't go so well, but it was an incredible experience and opportunity to really dive into business, but also just trying to establish, yeah, you know, networks and build a role, which, I, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into at the time. So Mike brings you on and he, he wants to, you know, have someone there as, I guess, collaborator, someone to talk through ideas with. Turns out you you kind of, you know, you are providing legal advice and you go to the Law Society, they say, well, you know, you're actually an in-house lawyer. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's great. I can do that. <laughs> Thanks for the, for the heads up. And like you said, you just built this role for yourself out of not much. Like that's, that's kind of interesting. I guess I, I find that similar parallels to other experiences that you've had throughout your career. And there seems to be a theme and I've certainly witnessed you do this where you just pick it up and just figure it out and just run with it and create your own value and create your own role for yourself. And I I think that that's such an admirable trait and something that perhaps lawyers can be a little bit scared to do sometimes because we like our box and we like to be safe within what lawyers do and this is my bit and I don't do things outside of this box and I'm, I'm safe and, and sound here. Is that something that you've deliberately set out to do or it's just, it's just who you are? I think my entire career has come about as just one step in front of the other and exactly what you've just said. I was never very good at being put in a box and mm. so I think as a a firm lawyer when I was you know having to you know document my time and I was having to deal with clients and and do cases and there was a lot of things missing in in that for me you know and then you know I did get burnt out and I was like oh I don't want to do this anymore Mm. but I think what I discovered was that I had a set of skills that I could use and I could use them in many different ways Mm. and it was really you know the the role with Mike was for me a real stepping stone because it gave me the confidence to go out and just do things. And, you know, you try things, some things work, some things don't. Building relationships, you know, Mike would say to me, I want to go and do business in Singapore. So I would just Google, how do you do business in Singapore? <laughs> and then I would find I would find a lawyer in Singapore that had, had what I needed and I would call them and say, 
or I need some help. Can you help me? And and I would forge these relationships and then you work things out. And yeah, I, look, I think that that experience certainly was a stepping stone for me into in-house practice and set me up so that when I made the decision to leave New Zealand and, and go to Australia because I saw bigger and better opportunities in Australia, that I had the confidence and I knew how to be an in-house lawyer by then so that I was able to actually you know, apply for roles knowing what I was doing because I'd done it before. Whereas the first time, I didn't even know what a general counsel was. You know, that, yeah. that title was, I, you know, again, thank you, thank you, Google. But I was like, you know, I, d- I didn't even know what I was. Yeah, for sure. So you come to Australia. Do you kind of set up a job before you get here or you let's just see what happens kind of, kind of person? <laughs> I actually had visited uh, Brisbane prior to making my decision. A very good friend of mine had relocated to Brisbane and so I went over for a week and stayed with her and her family and, and she was working for one of the top tier firms and I just went on seek and I just looked up what was available for an in-house lawyer and there were so many great opportunities and so I just I just again I went to a whole lot of interviews and incredulously by the end of that week when I went to return to New Zealand I had three incredible offers available to me so it was a matter then of just deciding what I wanted to do and so I I literally sat down with a piece of paper and a pen I knew for sure that I was leaving New Zealand at that point I just didn't know exactly um, what I was going to do but yeah um, two months later I was back in Brisbane working as an in-house lawyer so that that then set off the next um 11 years of my career and generally speaking your time in australia seems to be characterized by working for people who do have an entrepreneurial spirit or or do have some you know there's there's something that's a little bit dynamic or really moving and shaking do you think that you're better suited to that kind of environment or it's just been the way that things have have panned out and perhaps you haven't tried um, something more traditional or I suppose solid and and steady in in the corporate space? Back in the early days I definitely didn't see that as a a pathway. I think it just happened by coincidence Mm. that I ended up working for all these very entrepreneurial people and again working for entrepreneurs you know, gives you that opportunity to really do anything because they want to do anything and they're pushing boundaries and they're taking risks. And so I think I then worked out after a number of years that that really was my, what I liked. And again, it's, it's seeing a problem, I guess, and trying to work out how to, how to resolve it. And it means that you just expose yourself to many different things. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in anything in particular, but I think I'm an expert in just getting things done. I can, I can find yeah. a way somehow to get to work things out and to find an answer. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a real skill set because there can be so much fear there with something that's new and something that you don't have the, the answer to. And I, I can imagine there's many times where you've sat in a meeting and they've all looked to you and You've said, well, I don't know. We haven't done this before. You know, let, let me find out. I'll come back to you. But I think that that's a real strength of yours and something that doesn't always come naturally to, to a lot of lawyers. I want to just deep dive into that a little bit. When you're, 
when you're in that space where your CEO or founder is asking for something new and bold and different and completely left field, what runs through your head? How, <laughs> how do you take a breath and kind of figure out the next steps? Uh, once I overcome the initial shock that I'm feeling inside, which I try not to show, I kind of just smile, nod my head, take a deep breath, and then carefully respond that I will certainly consider what they're proposing and give me a time, you know, give me a few days and I will consider it and come back to you with what I think may or may not work. Mm. And then I run off and try and work out how on earth I'm going to try and resolve (laughs) it or or at least come back with... um, you know, if I can't resolve it, come back with an alternative proposal. And using res- your resources, I mean, the World Wide Web is fantastic, but also your network. You know, right. there's loads of people out there who have probably done the same thing or something similar before. And I mean, I've been lucky in my experience that the majority of people that I've reached out to over the years and known and my own, you know, network of mentors. And, you know, everyone has always been incredibly supportive of me. And I think that's certainly helped. But to give myself some credit, you need to build those relationships and you need Mm -hmm. to really build your crew and your tribe of of people. And especially when I, you know, got to Australia, I mean, I knew nobody. And I would just throw myself into anything that involved other lawyers. I joined committees. I joined any networking option, opportunity I could mm. get myself invited to. And it didn't take me long to, you know, forge a, a really strong and good network. So, yeah, if I was, if I was to advise my, my younger self or, or anyone in that position, it would be to make yourself available and put yourself out there and just, you know, make, make lots of contacts with lots of different people. And then, and then rely on them and use them. And I suppose don't be afraid to pick up the phone and, and ask a, a lawyer in private practice that you might have a connection with just for a few moments of their time, bounce an idea off. I'm sure that that is never met with any hostility and is in fact invited. You know, that's what our, our, our colleagues in uh, private practice want us to do, I suppose. And perhaps sometimes we forge on thinking we can figure it out ourselves, but, but maybe the resources that we have are there for a reason. So, you know, call on them. Absolutely. And every senior lawyer has been a junior lawyer at some point, right? Mm. We've all been there. We have all been in those situations where it's like, I have absolutely no idea what to do next or how I'm going to approach this case or I don't even know where to start. And not being afraid to, to pick up the phone or send an email or or just reach out to somebody and just ask. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? They say, oh, no, sorry, I'm not going to help you. Mm, um, totally. I mean. Has that ever happened? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Exactly. And I've called, some, I've called some random people over the, my time. <laughs> yeah, and it's the random hours of the day and night, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, that is such good advice. Thank you for, for being so open and just talking through your, your process there because I think it's not something that comes naturally and is certainly a yeah great to hear your experiences in, in working through the unknowns, which I know is just 
more often than not, your business as usual, I suspect, is working through unknowns or things that haven't been done before. So it's you've had a lot of practice there. <laughs> and I kind of leads me nicely into my next question because you've worked working your way through different industries, different in-house roles within Brisbane, and then you find yourself at Megaport of course, which is where we met and how we came to, to work together. And it's, what is it, four and a half years now that you've been at Megaport? Yeah, five years, middle of this year. Oh, my goodness. And I'm sure it feels like longer and a lot a lot more has happened than, <laughs> than it, what you would think. It's been an incredible journey. Megaport has, has grown as a business, but I also think I've grown significantly as a person. So we've kind of grown oh, together. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, when <laughs> it is a juggernaut. When you started, I know it was trestle table, Bunnings trestle tables, very startup vibes, Nerf guns going off, I don't know, 20 or 30 people. And, you know, now we're in the ASX 200 is a head office that's fully equipped with lovely tables that are not trestle <laughs> tables. <laughs> And all of the all of the, the mod cons that you would expect, you know, I think there's, oh gosh, at least I think 100 people in the Brisbane office now, but over 230 or 40 globally. So within that time, it's just an incredible expanse of, of everything. Like it's really hard to kind of describe how much has happened, how many countries we've we've expanded into, how many people we've hired. Tell me about your experience, like just if you can even summarize it in supporting a startup tech company through to, you know, a serious player on the ASX. Not bad for someone who has no technology background whatsoever and struggled (laughs) to use an iPhone. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Which I'm pretty sure I did admit to at the time of interviewing for the role. Look, it has been certainly one of the highlights of my career. Uh, It came into my life at a time where, you know, I had been working in-house for over 12 years across a variety of industries for a number of different people in both New Zealand and Australia. And to be honest, when the opportunity arose, I kind of thought, wow, this is technology, which I wasn't a great fan of. But when I gave it some thought, I thought to myself, you know, this opportunity was a really good one. I knew people that were working in the business already and they were very excited and enthusiastic about the opportunity. Every person that I met through the interview process was just outstanding and really motivating and and smart. And I, I was 35 at the time and I just thought to myself, you know, I still thought I was young enough to be able to start something new. And I guess in the back of my mind, again, I'm always of the view, well, you know, what if it all goes wrong? What if it's not what I want to do? Well, I don't have to, you know, I can do something else. Mm. So I, I, I was confident in, the, in what people were telling me about Megaport and the people that I had met. And it was just such a new environment. You know, it was so dynamic and mm. so young and there was so much to build on and let alone learn about the product which I basically immersed myself in I would say for the first several months just trying to understand what it was that we were doing Mm. but it was it was madness and most of what I was doing was just trying to set up a business and whether it was legal or not there were just things that needed to happen 
and so again you know I didn't have a team back then there was there was two lawyers and, and a paralegal and we were all just you know gloves on heads down just doing whatever it was that we needed to do to get the business set up and you know we were establishing ourselves in the United States we were setting ourselves up in Europe and the UK and buying a business in Germany and we bought a business in Bulgaria I mean it was just crazy I I look back now and my head just still spins but we got there and you know and now I you know I'm pleased to say that you know, we've got an outstanding business that has worked. And, and I try now to, to keep myself just to the legal work. But from time <laughs> to time, as you know, think, things come up where, you know, I get the tap on the shoulder and it's just, Anna, can you, can you try and work out this? <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, for the longest time, we didn't have people in positions. And the closest vaguely related people who might be able to assist would be the legal team and the first thing that comes to my mind is information security and you know working towards ISO certification like we didn't have infosec engineer we didn't have data protection privacy manager you just took it up and just made it happen and and learned about cyber security my goodness so over time when we employed the perhaps the the experts in the field we handed it off but that's crazy to think about some of the the areas that you immersed yourself in that otherwise would never have really come across the legal team if there was, you know, a more established org structure in, in place. But someone had to do it and you, you've been very good at just picking it up and making it happen, <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, that was quite insane. I mean, <laughs> I had an engineer tap me on the shoulder and, and tell me that we needed to do this information security assessment. And I kind of looked at him and looked at the piece of paper and thought what on earth is an information security assessment and it was this proposal to do all this work and I thought okay and funnily enough the person that was had signed the proposal I thought well I'll just call this person and find out what this thing is that we need to supposedly do and I'll just try and work out whether or not I can do it and funny story and very Kiwi story but of course the person that I called was from my hometown in New Zealand so it was quite remarkable we weren't related. But anyway, <laughs> the, the next minute I'm being invited to this formal lunch with the industry body for telecommunications in Australia and I'm meeting all these very important people who seem to know about information security. I'm, of course, pretending that I know everything about information security, <laughs> but making sure I write down all these people's names and get all their business cards and then... Yeah, next minute I was running an information security assessment and developing policies and a framework and and the one thing that definitely came out during that time was that I needed some experts who actually knew what they were doing. But that led us to then, you know, put together a business case and we were able to hire an information Mm. security engineer and, and a privacy officer. So, you know, again, just one step in front of the other. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah yeah wow I'm getting some flashbacks to our meetings of ragtag people from across the business trying to figure out what we needed to do but well, I mean we got there and and it's all it's all evolved that's for sure but I I just love I've loved working with you and seeing your approach to those things that are just you know somebody's got to do it 
it's somewhat related to what we do, whether because customers are asking for it and it'll affect our customer contracts or it, it does have some vague regulatory involvement. So therefore, it's a legal issue or a legal problem. You know, we, we tend to be the, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say that oh, the rubbish can, that's not it. But we seem to be the catch-all when no one else really knows where to put a thing. Oh, legal can just figure it out. Legal can handle it. And you do. You step up and you do figure it out. So it's... <laughs> It's really, yeah, absolutely. really Some, to look back. Sometimes to our own detriment, I think, because people then learn that they can do it. But I don't know. I, I, I guess one of the highlights for me is being an in-house counsel is being helpful to a business, you know, and, yeah. and not just being the lawyer. And that's totally. certainly been one of the things that keeps me working in-house and, and why I enjoy it so much is that I get to work with all these other really great people and, and particularly at Megaport. I mean, I was used to being one of the smart people around the table, usually. But mm. when I got to Megaport, I, was, I felt inadequate because there were all these really clever engineers and technical people. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is just so interesting. But being able to work with a variety of people and, you know, collaborate on, on things. And, you know, when you work for a business, you get to, you get to achieve so much more and, and be part of that company's success. I always felt like when I worked for a firm that I would work with these clients for a period of time and then I'd you know the case would finish and I'd never see them again or never Mm. get to talk to them again and I found that really sad (laughs) I like being you know having that relationship with my client and and being so intimately involved which is what we are in-house one client one focus and we can just hone in on on that client their goals their objectives it's yeah it's pretty special I'd love to ask what is one thing that you're most proud of in your time at Megaport wow I'm really proud of a lot of things with Megaport because it's been such a a journey but I would say that the construction of the information security part of our business is definitely one of my my most pointed highlights because it pushed me out of my comfort zone so much and the result has been, I think, quite profound. We've just reached our ISO 27001 certification. I had very little to do with that, <laughs> but well, I like I to think that I, <laughs> I helped, you know, I helped the, the commencement so. of it. So, but there's been many, many moments at Megaport that I'm proud of and I'm proud of the business as a whole. It's been a, yeah, a, a great journey and an experience and you know, I think it's really only just getting started. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Now, we mentioned it earlier, but you are based in LA and you were able to move to LA and work remotely from there, from home, you know, even though head office is in Brisbane. And I do know the story, but for the listeners' benefit, I'd love to hear how that came about and why why this move to the US. Wow, yes. One too many rosés, if I'm honest. The opportunity came up to relocate to LA through discussions with the CEO at Megapore. And at the time, our business was really just starting to grow in the United States. And the United States for us will always be one of our biggest markets. 
to be honest, it's where all the, you know, a lot of the technology and the, and the business is just happening. And I was spending so much of my time on aeroplanes and in airports anyway, as we were expanding the business and flying from Australia, you know, to the rest of the world is really hard. And I was constantly in a state of jet lag. And even if I wasn't jet lagged, I would blame jet lag for my lack of routine and motivation to do basic things. And the question got asked whether I would consider relocating to the west coast of the United States. And at the time for me personally, I was definitely feeling ready for a new challenge and and a new environment, I guess. And I thought again to myself, well, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I, Mm. I don't like it. And I turn around and come home. So off I went. And I have to say, I've loved every minute of it. It's been, again, just another chapter and another extension of myself. And I have to say that being based in the United States gives you a greater appreciation for the country as a whole and doing business in America. We also employ a large number of employees in the US and it's very different to employing people in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, UK, and a lot of things I really truly hadn't appreciated until I got here. And I think when you immerse yourself in in a new culture and a new area of law and new laws, it's the best way to, to learn something. And so here I am, I still only practice Australia. Uh, Australia, I'm an Australian practicing lawyer, but I work remotely, I do it from here. And I a large part of what I do for Megaport is actually just manage legal advice and the delivery of legal services from any one of the 24 countries that we currently operate in. So it's it's a very varied and wonderful job, but it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly been an experience for me. And yeah, like you said, you know, it's brought me to the United States now. So despite having been in lockdown for the last 10 months and no longer mm. been able to go anywhere, it's given me a good chance to really just do the work rather than always traveling around. I remember how much you used to travel. Not so much now, of course, but (laughs) we couldn't have predicted any of this when we thought (laughs) Anna will save so much time if she's just in LA or, you know, on the West Coast somewhere. (laughs) So the the other thing of course that changed was our team and having our our fearless leader move away from head office was an opportunity for for the other members of the team myself included to to really step up and and own you know that we weren't protected as much people would come directly to us now and and we had to step into that and and I I've been through a process of of evolving and, and being more confident in you know, being the leader when when you weren't available for for whatever reason. And, you know, it's been a great opportunity for all of us. But I I would love to get your side of the story when you're managing a dispersed team, because we do have five people in our team and we're across three cities, I think two countries, three time zones. And, you know, there is a lot of change within the business, even just across 24 hours, let alone a week or a month but you do manage to keep us all focused on the same goals so I'd love to know what what tips you have for for legal team leaders who who do have people dispersed across the world 
Yeah, sure. And actually, just to go back to your prior question about one of the things I'm most proud of, I'd have to say my team, I'm extremely proud of. And you guys all did really step up when I left. And, you know, we weren't really sure what was going to happen because I had been present in the t- in Brisbane and the team was based in Brisbane then. And, you know, we had that daily interaction. And mm-hmm. even when I was traveling, you know, I was or I'd be back in the office. And yeah, I mean, it was always going to be a bit of a challenge but I think for me it was I knew that I I had to maintain a presence so you know thankfully being a technology company we have access to numerous communication Mm -hmm. tools with slack and and email and then making sure that I was even though it was via video call being physically present so having my video turned on for meetings at least once a week if not more often and that was really critical for me because I knew that I had to maintain that that presence and, and make sure that we were all, you know, regularly speaking to each other and, and aligned on things. But I think I have a great team around me and I'm forever grateful because you guys have all really stepped up and supported me. And, you know, we are the dream team. Not one of us can do this on our own. I certainly, I certainly couldn't do any of it on my own and we work well and it, and it does work well and yeah so in terms of tips for managing a dispersed workforce I think you know maintaining regular physical contact if not physical at least by video and being present and being available we have a couple of hours overlap at the end of my day each day and the start of your days um, in Australia and that's I you know I try to reach out as much as I can during those times and at least during COVID I mean I don't really have much else to do so (laughs) (laughs) you're always available (laughs) work for me as a highlight (laughs) I've I feel like I've really rounded out my my questions on Megaport and experience that we've had together there but I'd I'd like to look outside of your day-to-day and talk about the work that you do on a not-for-profit organization called Cherish Foundation and the board position that you have with them. I just I just love to just speak broadly about what Cherish does, how you found that position and why it's important to you. Yes. Well, I know because I have so much spare time in my life these days. Look, <laughs> the whole experience with Cherish was, you know, I had reached a point in my career where as I've said already today, you know, I felt like I had a a set of skills that were solid and that I could use to help somebody or something in the community. And I was looking for an opportunity to give back to the community that has given me so much. I've forged some great relationships over the years. I've got some great networks. I've had some great work experience. And I just felt like I had something to give back and I wanted to give back. And I, I finally had time too, because in those first 10 years of legal practice you don't have time especially when you're very junior you spend every waking minute on building up your career and Mm. I've I had this time and I thought what can I do so I wasn't actively looking for position but I was actually asked by a friend if I knew anyone with a legal background who might be interested in joining the Cherish Foundation which fundraises funds into research for kinder treatments for women who are going through gynecological cancers and I had a friend as everybody does you know who was going through cancer at the time and 
it was just gut-wrenching for me to see, you know, the effects of the treatment on not just the person but the families around them. And so this unique opportunity had arisen and I thought, I'll do it. And, you know, again, I just, I just kind of put myself out and I said, you know, I've got some skills, I have some good contacts, I have some good networks, I can bring this to, to the board. And thankfully, the board were accepting of that. And so I joined the um, foundation. I think we're coming up five or six years now and, and has been incredible. My time is, is absolutely voluntary, voluntary. I don't get paid. But I have to say the work that I do with Cherish is the most rewarding work that I do. And, you know, it's using the skills that we have as lawyers interpretation skills, contract negotiation skills, business practices, building good governance, you know, managing intellectual property. All these things are needed by not-for-profits. The whole purpose of the not-for-profit is to, is to give back in some way to the community and to people. And, um, you know, I think as lawyers, we have such an incredible and unique set of skills that, you know, if you do have the time... Um, to do something like this, I would highly encourage people to do it because, you know, the work, it, A, it, it extends your skill set and, and B, you're actually, you know, you're benefiting other people. So I would, yeah, I would highly recommend lawyers for, for not-for-profits. Brilliant. Brilliant advice and, and wonderful work that, that you do and that Cherish does. And I'll absolutely include a link to the website in the show notes for anyone that wanted to learn more about what it looks like for, for kinder treatment of these kind of cancers, which you know can be pretty horrendous. And stuff. Absolutely. Thank you, Mel. No worries. Last question. It's a big one. <laughs> and you can give more than one answer. What is the best piece of career advice that you have ever been given? I love this question. For me, it's fail fast. You know, we all make mistakes. The The trick is to fail fast, make the mistake, acknowledge it, um, correct it, learn from it and move forward. Don't dwell on it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just deal with it and move forward because that's how we learn. I always say to people, you know, I would rather know that you've stuffed up and how we're going to fix it and what I can do to help than if you try to cover it up or pretend that it didn't happen Mm. and, you know, I find out about it weeks later or by the time I find out about it, you know, it's turned into something bigger than Ben-Hur. So I was given that advice early in my career. You just need to, you need to be able to just keep moving. Love it. Don't dwell. Keep going. No. Own your mistakes. You know, and if if you stuff it up a second time, yeah. Please just don't do it a third time. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we're going to have to have a conversation if it's might, an ongoing might thing. We might have to reconsider things if it's an ongoing issue. But yeah, you know, just just own it and acknowledge it and, and move on. That's such a great approach for for work and for life as well. You often say we're not doing brain surgery here, guys. You know, yes, it's important. Yes, there are deadlines. Yes, there are pressures. But let's keep a little bit of perspective about what's really happening here and takes the pressure off so that you can you can actually perform without all of this stress clouding your judgment. And, and then, you know, you do avoid the mistakes that way, I think. So it's, yeah, awesome advice. Absolutely. Love it. And, and never make a decision under pressure. Like, you know, say, say, 
you know, if someone's putting pressure on you and you really are not comfortable with the decision or what you're about to do, if you're about to deliver a, a huge piece of advice and you're under pressure or you're exhausted or I often say, don't send it, mm. sleep on it, sit on it. And I know this is not always possible, but to the extent that you can, save it in your drafts, get up early the next morning, read it with a free, fresh set of eyes, look at the situation with fresh eyes and then send it. It has saved me on many occasions. <laughs> when I do that, I always change it. And I'm so glad that I didn't send it the way it was the day before. <laughs> I never come to it fresh always. and go, oh, no, it's perfect. Send. <laughs> nope. And I often think too, like, you know, if, if someone's annoyed with you or disappointed that you, they haven't got your advice, it's like you kind of do have to make a judgment call as to, well, if I send this but I'm tired and I'm not really happy with it, what's going to happen or do I hold on to mm. it, disappoint them for a moment and deliver the advi- the right advice with a fresh set of eyes in the morning when you're a bit more rested and you can then have the opportunity to talk about it. It's, yeah, that's certainly worked for me. Love it. That's so helpful. Thank you, Anna. We are going to wrap it up there because we're coming up to the top of the hour, but thank you for... No problem. And I would like to just take the opportunity too, Mel, if anyone is listening to this call and does need you know, someone to reach out to or to talk to or to ask a question of, I'm more than happy to be that person. So, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. You can send me a message. Like I said, you know, we've all been junior lawyers at some point and um, happy to to be a contact and, and, and be a someone you can talk to if you need to. Oh, that's so that's so generous. Thank you, Anna. I'll, I'll put uh, your LinkedIn uh, in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to someone that is one of my mentors and I would highly recommend. So now that's wonderful. I hope someone takes you up on that. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> many, many, I know. many DMs. But that well, is awesome. I'm likely to be in lockdown for quite some time yet. So, you know, it's all good. I have certainly had some incredible um, people in my life. So I'm happy to give back. Love it. Thank you, Anna. I'm going to stop recording and let you get on with your evening. No problem. You're welcome. Bye, Mel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.